Hello, Brain Allies. You are listening to Brains Out Loud, where we talk about important topics surrounding mental health, from our personal life to our work life and everywhere in between. Our goal is that through these conversations, we can help others prioritize mental health on an equivalent level to physical health. Today, I'm here with the beautiful and inspiring Corey Ray. Corey was the first ever transgender prom queen. She's an activist, an actress, model, speaker, and a holder of safe spaces. Corey is here with us today to talk about her story as it pertains to her resilience, her success, and her mental health. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Corey. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Awesome. So what was it like growing up as transgender? And what is the impact that it had on your mental health? And what did that impact teach you about resilience? And what did it teach you about beauty? Loaded question. Um, a lot in one. Okay, so what was it like growing up as transgender? So first and foremost, I like to say um, that I'm a woman of transgender experience because I feel that, and I don't know if you've heard me say this in rooms before um, on Clubhouse, but saying like trans man, trans woman, trans person, I feel it's very like labeling. Not that you just said that, I'm just saying, I, I wanna preface something so that when people hear me say like of transgender experience, they know I'm saying like what my vision of the new trans woman is. It's a woman of transgender experience because it's not all of me. Saying like trans something is very all encompassing. Um, and, and that leads into like, I felt for a long time, like very, what you would think of as normal. I asked my mom for dresses and Barbies at the age of two and she gave them to me and was really like my fiercest protector. But around the age of, I would say like kindergarten, I noticed some differences for me from other girls. Whereas like parents would be a little bit upset that I was like playing dress up with their like daughters or like wanting to play with makeup. And I would notice that when like my mom would come pick me up and my kindergarten teacher who had had my brother three, who was three years older and was like really excited to have me in the class, like pretty early on told me I wasn't allowed to like play dress up during recess. And my mom had gone in and was like, do not ever tell my child what they can or cannot do in their free time. And I kind of knew right like around that time, like six years old, five, six years old, that my mom was going to be like my fiercest protector, but that there was also a little bit something different about me. And before that, you know, and, and, and still for a while, I would be okay going with like my quote unquote boy clothes and then going to school and then coming home and I'd put on my favorite red dress and my Barbie heels. And, you know, I lived my life. I had this little fantasy world going on. But as I got older is when I think being of transgender experience started to weigh on me. We were a, Cal we're a California family, but my mom, my then stepdad and my brother and I moved to the East Coast, which is very different, of course, than Los Angeles. Yeah. And we were in this little suburban cookie cutter town in New Jersey. And that's when I really started to feel like people were more uncomfortable with me as a human person. And I didn't know why, but I eventually realized like there's boys and girls. And I thought I was a girl and I am a girl, but people weren't perceiving me as such. And I think my light started to dim a bit and I started to get anxious and I started to, this is of course all in hindsight, uh, and 
a little bit more sad. And my mom once just described as like, I used to be this happy kid that would like skip off to school and one day something just changed. And it was, I, you know, wasn't as happy and wasn't such a light. I think that really started in middle school where people were starting to go through puberty and girls were getting boyfriends. And I was still like playing dress up when I came home and like playing with Barbies, which in middle school isn't really that normal anymore. You know, you're not really playing dress up in, in middle school um, or playing with dolls and stuff. So I was kind of stuck in this fantasy land and wishing that I was a girl and praying every night to wake up with a vagina. And I really thought I was the only, I, I, I kept thinking to myself, like, I'm the only person in the world that feels this way. What's wrong with me? No one un- can un- is ever going to understand. And if I tell anyone, they're going to think I'm crazy. Yeah. And that weighed very heavily on me. And then in the, I think it was the seventh or eighth grade, a mom came in for career day and showed all of her different advertisements in magazines. And every kid got a different magazine. And I got a People Mag and I was flipping through it in the career day class, not paying attention per usual. And all of a sudden there's this story on a transgender teenager, a female to male. And I saw the word transgender and the sentence that this teenager used was trapped in the wrong body. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm transgender. I'm like in a class, you know, I'm like, holy shit. I just realized like this, ex- I, I realized myself. I was like this, I identify with this. I'm trapped in the wrong body. Like someone understands me. Someone else out there is like me. Mm-hmm. And I read that article over and over for about two weeks. And then I took it to my mom and I was like, is this girl covering up for being a lesbian or is this trans thing real? My mom was like, I've been waiting forever because of the dress up still. And because of the Barbies, she'd been waiting for me to express something and knew that there was something more than just gay. And um, she was like, no, this is real. And then a couple of days later I went down and I was like, mom, I want to be a girl. And she goes, okay. And I told her all about this fantasy land and she made it okay for me. And I was like, just don't tell anyone, but can I go to high school a girl? And she's like, I have no idea. Like, we'll figure this out. And unfortunately, my light started to dim more and more as time went on. I went to high school. I was living life. Friends, boyfriends started to be uncomfortable around me because they thought I was gay. And that was still looked down upon and still is, of course. But, in, um, you know, this wasn't a, this was a pretty liberal town. It just was con- cookie cutter, you know. Um, Transgender was not being discussed in the mainstream media. It was still called transsexual um, or cross-dresser. When you would Google it or like when you would write in a Word doc, it would underline transgender in red. It was not a recognized word. Like we're talking, you know, I found the term in 2006 and I didn't start transitioning until 2008 or, 2000, or 2009. So in this time, I think looking back, my mental health started to like take place, take form. I also, there's a lot about our town. There's a lot of pressure from our town to do well and be perfect. And it's a pretty affluent area. Everyone's parents were doctors and lawyers. So Ivy League colleges, if you didn't go to an Ivy League, it was kind of out of the question and you had to graduate high school, you had to go to college. There were a lot of pressure from the town. And so I think that was a, there was a mix of things that added to my own mental health journey that I didn't realize at all. I didn't realize that I got anxious. I didn't realize that I had OCD. I didn't realize a lot about myself. And 
but was doing things that were very, had a lot of OCD tendencies and a lot of anxiety tendencies. Okay. And did not, by the way, get diagnosed until this past year, year and a half. Um, and we're still working out. I definitely have anxiety, but we're still working out the OCD. We don't know how connected they are with me, but okay. there's definitely some OCD there. And that stems a lot from the trauma of having to not know who you are, transition in front of a high school. So I ended up transitioning. My mom ended up finding a therapist that who would finally see me because no one would see a child and then a teenager. And so finally my therapist, someone would see me. She had written a lot of books about what it meant to be transgender and she was phenomenal. And um, she said, yes, you fit one form of being transgender where like you express it as a little person. And sometimes like Caitlin ended up coming out years later, but someone who, who realizes more so in their 40s, 50s, 60s type of thing. Okay. And she's like, you fit this and we should start, you're a late bloomer. You, you haven't gone through you know, full puberty yet. So we might as well get you on hormone blockers and let's just see what happens from there. So let's see how you're feeling in a year from now. Cause there was a lot of hoops and that things that you had to go through back then. Um, you had to like live as a woman for a year in order to get estrogen and surgery and all this stuff. So yeah, it was a process. So I did hormone blockers for a year. That was my whole junior year. But over that course, I, my mom basically, there was this Halloween dance my mom could tell how upset I was that like all my friends were like making out with all my crushes. I couldn't go as a girl. All my friends were Eve. I had to dress up as Adam. Okay. Like 11 of my girlfriends were Eve and I was the one Adam. And that sucked. It was the worst night of my teen life. Okay. And then she was like, do you want to start wearing my clothes and, and my shirts and my, my, my pants? And I said, sure. And so eventually I started slowly transitioning and people kind of just caught on. They thought I was doing it for attention. They didn't understand what trans was. I didn't say I was trans. When I would tell people, they were like, is that gay? Is that something like gay? And I was like, I don't have time to explain this to you. So <laughs> I just grew my hair out and started wearing clothes. And by the time I was wearing a bra and like makeup in the fall, people got the gist. Okay. And then I went prom queen, which was, you know, amazing. And then um, I, a year later, I've gone on estrogen and then went off to college and I lived stealth. And so living stealth also had an impact on my mental health because I was keeping myself a secret. It means that I didn't disclosed to anybody that I had transitioned in high school. Gotcha. Okay. So for four years of college and a year after college, no one knew. I did not tell anyone. Um, my boyfriend did not know. Multiple guys, I mean, every guy that I dated or slept with, which was a lot, did not know. <laughs> uh, my friends, no one. People I worked with, jobs, hosting, hostessing jobs in the summer, stuff like that, no one knew. And how, uh, did, how did that impact your mental health? Was it damaging? I became very hardened. I put up a big front that if I let down my, if I let people know that I was a nice person or something like that, I felt like I would have been walked all over. Okay. So in high school, I kind of formed a Regina George complex and I was a bitch and I was angry and lashed out and overprotective of myself and very self-conscious, like, I had a friend, uh, freshman year of college. She didn't tell me this until the end, like our senior year, but she was like an ROTC. So she was like a big, like uh, army girl, right? Like she could have killed me probably with her hands. And on the first day of school, apparently she was just looking at me and I go, what are you looking at? 
And she didn't tell me until senior year. She was like, Corey, I was so afraid of you. You have no idea. And she said, all I was doing, I could not believe how beautiful you were. And you just like snapped at me. Like I was just looking at you. you but of course I thought she was looking at me because she like was trying to figure out if I was trans. Okay. So there was a lot of damage there that I did to myself by living stealth, but I did it out of safety. It was all pre Caitlyn Jenner era, as I like to call it. Okay. All pre-education, all pre talking about it on mainstream media, talking about it on social media, talking about it on YouTube. There were no influencers when I was in college. So it was a different time and that really weighed heavily on me. And I am continually working through the damage that I did on myself. And I know that was a long-winded first answer to your question. Uh, but what it taught me about resilience and, and beauty is that um, I think when I, when I went prom queen, I was like, okay, I can do anything I put my heart and mind to. Like if I really want something bad enough and I like manifest it, maybe it can happen and it can happen and it will happen. So that's what I learned kind of about like resilience. Like that I was strong, like I could do it and I could make it through. Um, and beauty, I don't know. Um, I think it taught me that the world sees, oh, accepts one type of woman. Um, I saw the beautiful, I thought that being a woman meant that you, being an accepted, a woman worthy of love and everything else to me meant that you needed to be skinny, I guess white and blonde. Yeah. Um, not I guess, white and blonde, skinny, rich, cool, and a little dumb. And uh, I embodied it completely. I am totally embodied in Elle Woods, share from Clueless and Regina George mentality. And I became her. And sometimes I love it. I'm like, oh my God, I, I can't believe that the girl I imagined in my head, like I look like that now. Yeah. And I mean, I am white and blonde. So that was kind of easy. But like the other stuff, you know, like being deemed cool or the attitude. The the attitude. attitude. Yeah. Like all of that. I'm like, whoa, this is awesome that I am her. But at the same time, like why did I feel like I needed to act, talk, walk, look, and be a certain way for society to accept me and for men to love me? So it taught me a lot about the standard that we put on not only women, but, if, but especially women of transgender experience to just be accepted. Um, so yeah. That's a great, that's a great answer. Uh, I really am in awe of everything that you have experienced just in terms of, you know, finding out what exactly it was that you wanted in life and having the courage to go and find that and to make it come true to you. But it's not easy. As you mentioned, it weighed on your mental health. It gave you anxiety, um, the way that it caused you to portray this defense mechanism, you know, yeah, in your environment absolutely. and to, you know, to, you said it, is it experiencing stealth or living stealth? You said it is living stealth, meaning you don't tell anyone that you're right. have transitioned. It's damaging because you are hiding who you truly are. And I didn't realize that. And I tricked myself into thinking I was cis, sometimes into thinking I could get pregnant. I mean, I, not that I was ever like, oh, I just had sex and a guy nutted in me. And now I think I'm, I need to go take plan B. Not like that, but right. like, maybe I could get pregnant. Like, just small things where I, where I would forget. I mean, I think that's also part of like, I don't identify as trans first. 
Like even when I was transitioning, my therapist once stopped me and she was like, I completely forgot that you were trans for a second. And like, you know, it's not a part of my everyday. I mean, now it is because of my career, but it wasn't a part of my everyday. And I liked that, but I also wasn't sharing myself. I couldn't be genuine. I had to keep my college friends away from my high school friends. And like, there was just a lot that weighed heavy on me. And, and when I dated uh, the guy that I dated um, my senior year of high school, I, he was the first person I wanted to tell because I wanted to share myself with him. And I, I just chickened out every time because I just loved how much he liked me for me. And I am happy that I did what I did, but now I am dealing with the repercussions of, of what I went through. And I didn't put it on myself. Society put that on me. Absolutely. Um, society said through media, and media at this point, I mean like TV and film, not social. But if you're trans, something bad is probably going to happen to you. So you either need to pass and keep that a secret or, you know, you're going to die. And, and that's a lot to take on. Yeah, it's a lot to take on. And I think that something that you just brought up is the way that people of trans experience are portrayed in the media. And I think how infrequently they are portrayed in the media as something that's so common and, and normal in some capacity is a little bit shocking. And I would love to hear your input on that. Shocking? Yes, in hindsight, but it's been a slow progress of the media telling us what people of trans experience are. I don't know if you've watched Disclosure Doc on Netflix, but right. it, oh my God, it is amazing. Not in the sense of like, this is what trans is. It's called Disclosure. Okay. Disclosure Doc, I think is actually the name. And it just, it's by trans people. And like Laverne Cox and Yance Ford, Yancey Ford, Yance Ford. Um, and it tells the story of how transgender, people of trans experience became stigmatized and othered. Because a long time ago in history, like we were way more open about gender and sexuality and there was two spirit in Native American cultures. There was intersex in, in East Asian cultures. There was, you know, there was so many different ways to, to be a third gender so to speak, and in recent history, we have been ostracized and other. And the documentary does a wonderful job at showing how that narrative came to be through TV and film, to be seen as the freaks and the man in a dress and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, and then that we were the ones that people needed to be safe around because we were the thieves, we were the rapists, we were, you know, the criminals. Um, which as we know, with these bathroom laws, things like we are the ones who need to be protected, not other people. Right. A lot of the argument is that like, we're going to rape these like kids in bathrooms or something or other people like what? And, and they, I think that the media portrays and society portrays people of trans experience, people who are gay, people who are bisexual as predatory in many, many ways. And what the documentary also discusses, which is so interesting, even in projects like Boys Don't Cry with Hilary Swank or The Danish Girl with Eddie, whatever his name is, Radame, Radame whatever. Um, Redme, I don't know. 
they were cisgender actors. So when they got up on stage for the Oscars, you saw a woman who was playing a man or a man playing a woman. And that only furthers the narrative that it's a choice and that it's one or the other. And it's not, you know, a real valid person. And that's why right now I think it's important for having trans actors play trans roles. Someday, maybe we don't need to have that. But like gay actors do need to be playing gay roles. Trans actresses need to be playing trans act roles, things like that. Absolutely. So what are your thoughts on uh, Euphoria, the show Euphoria? Have you seen it? Are you watching it? Um, and what do you think that that's doing for the trans community? Yeah, I loved the show. Um, I think Hunter is amazing. I think that um, there are subtle hints about her transness and also not at all. I think a lot of people didn't even realize the hormone inject, like the first scene of, is her name Rue or is that the other one? Yeah, that's the other one. Uh, Jules. Um, Jules. So when Jules, in the very first scene of Jules, she's in like her bra, like she's in um, a top with like her nipples showing and she's in um, underwear and she has one, a bulge and two, she injects herself with what people probably thought was insulin, but it's hormones and so many people missed it. So many people, when I talked about it, they're like, oh, she's trans? I was like, you didn't see the bulge and you didn't see the hormone injection? They're like, I didn't think about it. I was like, well, that is exactly it. You didn't think about it. And that's what I love about it. It was so seamless. It wasn't a huge, dramatic hormone injection. It was just every day, like, sticking my hormones, getting dressed, doing this, in my underwear, comfortable with my genitals. Like, loved that. Because another thing is that there is there's this binary of transness. Oh, you're trans? Well, then you need surgery and you need this, that, and the other. And what I've learned is, because I am a very binary transgender woman, or woman of transgender experience, where for me, a vagina meant complete, but that's not, penis and vagina does not equal man and woman anymore. Right. And some women of trans experience don't have dysphoria in their genitals. They don't need to have that surgery. And so we have this term pre-op and post-op, but what about non-op? And I loved that Jules seemingly, right now at least, is not up and was happy in her underwear. Like for me, I would have never been able to like prance around in my underwear. Like I was so uncomfortable about that. But I loved that narrative that they showed. And there were some transits and other storylines. You know, they had a whole episode about her upbringing, which I loved because each character had, had something about their upbringing. It wasn't just that it was her trans story. It was that everyone had some sort of story and it was just about her experience. So I love it. I loved the show. Um, I think they could do more by the only problem I had was like her being on Grinder because that to me is a gay app. Right. And and it I, I do believe trans women are on the app, but yeah. for me it only furthers the narrative that people think of trans people as gay or like whatever. So that was my only problem with it. But besides that, um I loved it. I haven't watched the two new episodes, but yeah, I like it. Yeah, that's awesome. So I want to backtrack to something that you said earlier. You were talking about, you know, being a woman of trans experience and going through the period of your life where you were stealth and how you're dealing with now the parts of yourself that you had to hide early on in your life. And you mentioned OCD and you mentioned trying to figure out what that means to you. And so I personally have been diagnosed with OCD. It's a bitch. It's definitely difficult. And, you know, before I was diagnosed with OCD, I felt 
like I was crazy. Um, I was having intrusive thoughts. I didn't understand what those intrusive thoughts meant. I was terrified by them. I felt guilty about them. And when you have something about yourself that you're hiding like that, the amount of weight that it puts on your body and your stress and your overall well-being is tremendous. So, you know, you talked about just not being able to be who you were and the weight that that held. And I can't relate to being a woman of trans experience, but I can relate to having that part of myself in my mind that just didn't make sense, right? Like it wasn't clicking. Mm -hmm. It didn't make sense. It didn't add up. I was, it was scary to me, at least in my experience. And recently I was, I've been calling new therapists, trying to find someone new because my last therapist wasn't very helpful. And I was talking, she was like, well, what, what didn't work with your last therapist that, you know, I need you to give me a little bit more background so that I can make sure that I'm the right fit. So I started talking about my OCD and I started talking about my intrusive thoughts. And she said, you need to find someone that focuses on OCD, but specifically you need to find someone that focuses in complex PTSD. And complex PTSD is, a, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder that's specific to traumatic incidences or traumatic experiences of mental health that you had throughout your life. And that complex PTSD triggers OCD constantly. And yeah. so to go through a period of your life where you felt like you couldn't just genuinely be who you were, I imagine that really weighed on you in, in some capacity. Oh yeah. And I, and you explained that perfectly. And it's, those are the exact things I talk about with my therapist. Um, so you like hit the, the nail on the head there completely. And that person who you spoke to is, sounds really great. Um, it, it caused, for instance, my therapist uses this really good example. I have this tendency when I moved from LA to New York, I couldn't control that. And so I started, if I were to turn left, I would spin right. And if I were to spin right, I turn right, I would spin left because I wanted to feel even and balanced. Okay. That was like something where my OCD came out because I couldn't control a situation. But then when I found out I was, when I realized I was trans or something along those lines around my bar mitzvah time, and having to study for my bar mitzvah, knowing that I was a woman, I started this um, thing where I like roll, like, you know, when like you sit and your jeans, like on the inside of your knee have like a little bit of a crease. Yeah. So I like go like this and I like scrape my insides of my knees with my nails. Okay. With like, the roll of the jean. And that happened because I was so anxious slash nervous slash going through so much knowing I was a woman, but having to go through with a bar mitzvah, small things like that. Yeah. Or some party girls in my hallway. Um, or yeah, just like small things, intrusive thoughts, totally um, bad thoughts. And like, well then spit, I'll have to spit it out. Like if I think something bad, I would have to spit. And not just once, I would have to spit three times because three is my lucky, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. where it started to weigh on like me getting through my day yeah. <laughs> or like knocking on three separate pieces of wood, three different times, like, you know, like things I mean, like knocking, that. Yeah, yeah. I have to knock on my stomach 32 times in an okay. eight, four time sequence. And I do it mm -hmm. all day, every single day. I'm not religious, mm -hmm. but 
I do the cross at random points. And it's like very random things that were implemented into my life or I heard from superstitions that then became a part of my OCD, yep. part of my coping. Absolutely. And I think that I don't, I, I think that there is OCD in my family. There's also anxiety. I'm not, I don't have depression, but there is depression and bi- and I don't have bipolar. And there's, there's depression, bipolar, anxiety and OCD that runs a little bit in my family. Okay. Um, not with everyone at all, but there, it's there. Um, and so I think some of that is genetic and some of it is lived experiences. And I know for me, I think the anxiety for me, not I think it was both lived experiences and the genetics that made up my anxiety and my OCD because I needed something to control because I couldn't control anything else. I couldn't control how I felt. I couldn't control that there wasn't a word for how I felt. I couldn't control once I found out that word, what would happen to me? Would I be able to transition? Is transitioning even possible? Well, would I be able to have a vagina? How would I explain this to my boyfriend? Would I explain it once I'm engaged? I mean, it's, as you can imagine, a domino effect of thoughts. And it hindered me from having good relationships with men. Okay. It hindered me from having a good relationship with myself, with my family, not in the sense of like horrible relationships, just like the best possible, I mean, relationships. Um, And what is exciting is that I've been able to see it, diagnose it, and getting to the root of it, and then noticing small changes over time. And it's helped not only my mental health, but it puts me in check like, oh, I need to allow myself this grace and softness to know that I'm anxious right now and I need to step away and I need to go to my room, I need to shut my eyes, and I need to breathe. You know, things like that where I'm liking that. I'm liking who I'm becoming, even though I have this, there's mental health has been so stigmatized, like being trans. I'm now not afraid of it and I'm okay with it. And I like, I'm excited by the changes that I can make from getting there and knowing that. And, and yeah, I, I, it's, it's nice to be able to know like, this isn't my fault. I didn't ask for this, um, but I can make it better. So that's been really cool for me with my like journey the past. And it's really only been the past year and a half. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. It, it really reminds me of my diagnosis with anxiety and then my diagnosis with depression and OCD. And again, very different from my experiences are unique to me. Your experiences are unique to you, but I know a lot of people with mental health are afraid of their diagnosis, right? Like they are terrified to be diagnosed with PTSD, with OCD, with whatever it might be because it is so stigmatized. And so people are like, well, now what if people, now what if my boyfriend or my girlfriend doesn't want to date me anymore? Or what if, and they think I'm just going to be too much of a problem. Or what if I can't keep my job if they find out that I have a clinical depression diagnosis? And, And I would say that even though it is so stigmatized and I see it's the stigma existing um, and we're fighting it and we're working towards it. When I was diagnosed with OCD, that was the most life-changing 
probably the most life-changing day of my day of my life, of my experience, because finally someone could pinpoint what I was experiencing and going through. And I was like, oh my God, thank God this is something that exists that is normal and that other people are going through it because now I can talk about it. And if I can talk about it, I can work through it and I can find solutions to it and I can find people who can relate to me. And that made the world of difference to me, like this burden and guilt that had been weighing on my chest and like been this pit in my stomach forever finally felt like it was maybe not resolved, but we were going to get there eventually. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I totally, I'm, yes, all of that. I totally relate to that. So I know that you're an actress, you're a model, you're a writer. Um, and, you know, what... Out of all of those artistic platforms, you know, what makes you feel the best? What contributes the most positively to your overall well-being, would you say? Mm, comes in waves. Um, I actually really started as a writer. Um, that's how I ended up coming out to everyone, was through a blog post. I called it Allowed Me to Reintroduce Myself. And um, put up that blog post, and that went viral, and I was not expecting it to. And then I was kind of put on as a trans activist and a trans writer okay. when I was trying to become a model. And so I really loved writing for a long time. And I'm still, I love when I'm passionate about it, writing and writing scripts um, now rather than blog posts and advice columns. But my biggest, what I, like someone once said, like if you were to die doing something, like that you love, what would it be? And in that instant, I like thought of just like being on set. Okay. Um, I, anytime I model or act, it is the best day of my life. I love not only being in front of the camera, but the entire set culture and coming together with different people to make art. I'm different in the sense of like, what I make sure that the makeup artist is happy, the hair person is happy. Like sometimes they're like makeup artists and, and hair people and nail, they're always so shocked that they ask their opinion or, you know, things like that. Like the photographer, when they're even there, if there's like a director or something like, I, I love making art with everyone involved. Yeah. But modeling has become almost not enough. Like I love modeling and I think it's what I'm most talented in for okay. sure. But I fell in love with acting which I think I suppressed that for a very long time because, and I talked about that in fitness therapy today, I could not connect to male roles. And so I was a bad actor because I could not growing up connect. And I wrote a web series a couple of years ago that got produced and I acted in it and it was amazing. And I loved it. And the director was like, you've never acted before? And I was like, no, like not really. And they were like, okay. And then I did a short film and the director was like, you've never acted really? And I'm like, I've only done one other thing. And they're like, okay, you, you should be acting. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit. Okay. And I realized the writing wasn't fulfilling. Instagram was definitely not fulfilling. Yeah. And I loved modeling, but I also wanted to act. And so I started exploring that and I got been lucky enough to get an agent in the pandemic and have been going out on auditions and been filming and self-taping and it is so fulfilling. So I've realized I've fallen in love with Hollywood and I, and, I, and I understand now that the way 
that I can make a global impact on our culture, our world's culture, is by getting onto people's screens and in their living rooms. And I've tackled the, the cell phone screen and I want bigger screens now. I want laptops and I want films and I want televisions because that is how I'm gonna change people's perception of transgender people. That is what's gonna make them see me for who I am in a role on TV. I'm not playing a trans role. I'm playing just a role. And they're gonna be like, whoa, she's a transgender experience. Okay. And they're gonna start seeing us differently. Yeah. And so I've fallen in love with that. And that's what is right now filling me up. And and I am most passionate about. I love that. I love that answer. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope that everybody can find that thing that it is for them that really just makes them feel that they're going to make the most measurable difference in their life with that. And I think that most people who feel passionate about what they're doing and feel excited about what they're doing is because they're making an impact on others. So even if it's something that they love to do, they're seeing that it's affecting other people and that impact and effect on other people is what brings people fulfillment. Totally. I think like, and it's okay if like you don't have a big goal in life or whatever, but the most fulfilled people are the ones who see the results and of their, of their labor. Working a nine to five doesn't necessarily, is going to be the most fulfilling thing. I think you're part of the system in that end. No offense. I love all my yeah. friends who are nine to fives, but they don't, one, they don't have a big goal that they want to accomplish in life or big change. And, and two, like, you know, they don't get to see any of the fruits of their labor, really. Right. Um, and it's not for everyone, but I've put it on me to want to make an impact. And yeah, and, and I think it's important and it's one of the hardest things that anyone can do is realize their purpose and act on it. And it's hard. And it requires sacrifice, right? Like, oh, yeah. And I, one of the biggest things that my therapist talks to me about is that I am so hard on myself. I mean, really, really, really hard on myself. And it's almost crippling. Okay. And he tries to like, be like, Corey, look at all that you've done. You know, look at what you're doing right now. Like, it's okay to not be at the end. Uh, and I so often think of one friend said to me like, Corey, thank God you're not at the end. Thank God you're still in the beginning. And that this is the journey that you're on and, and all of this. But I get so caught up in like the future and this, that, and the other. And am I doing enough? And so it's my, one of my other things that I try to deal with is, is realizing like everything's okay. I have to trust the universe. Like I'm on the right path. I'm doing good, doing more than the average person, you know, in, an amplifying change at least and I have to be okay with that and enjoy the journey of, of doing it because I want everything fixed I want the environment to be perfect I want everyone to accept people of trans experience I want mental health to be discussed in schools and gender to be discussed you know I want all of it now yeah, but I right. understand that it's a journey you it's, know? it's so hard to be patient when there's so much you want to do yeah. and you see other people where it seems like they're where they want to be in their career and it seems like they're successful and they feel happy and satisfied and fulfilled and then you watch them in interviews and they're like it's not enough it's not enough like even Paris Hilton I don't know if you watched the Paris Hilton documentary but she yeah. was like I, I thought I would be happy when I made a million dollars and then yeah. I'm happy when I made a hundred million dollars and now I feel like I won't be happy until I make a billion dollars and it's like you're constantly fighting for the next step and that money isn't always just about being rich, but about 
how it defines success. And so we have to look at like how we can redefine success and what does success look like? And for me, I have to be so patient in starting a business, you know, same with you and your career and acting and modeling and writing and all that you have to be so patient. But I think measuring success is progress and how you're making progress every single day, getting one step closer to that, but also the impact that you're having on other people. And if you can impact someone else in, in any capacity every day, I think you're successful. Yeah, I think success for me is like happiness at this point. I showed that scene to my therapist of, of Paris Hilton because I could relate to it, of course. Um, and he was like, yeah, Corey, we know you need to work on this. Like, I got it. But um, yeah, I, I think I am working on being content with the now, even when it comes to relationships. I'm just talking to my therapist about a guy that I'm seeing and I'm like, well, I don't know about this, that, and the other. And he definitely told, he told me he wants to do this one day and I definitely don't want that type of life. And he's like, Corey, can you just fucking enjoy it? Like, <laughs> you're with a nice, sweet guy, like, like who likes you? Like, can you just chill? Like, you don't need to worry about the fact that he wants to have a Nokia phone and live in Hawaii. <laughs> and I'm like, but I don't want a Nokia phone and to live in Hawaii, like on it by myself. Like, and he's like, okay, like just enjoy it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, it's just, it, it comes down to everything. Yeah, everything. absolutely. I, I struggle with that so much is staying present and taking things one day at a time. It is probably my, it's one of my biggest challenges. It's definitely my biggest challenge right now in this moment. And it's so hard to do. Um, I've learned that making gratitude lists and staying grateful and showing up for myself in, in that way has really helped me with that. Um, I've, you know, I want to know, you mentioned earlier that your mom is a huge champion of you. And I imagine that she's either your biggest support system or one of your biggest support systems. And she sounds phenomenal and you're very lucky to have her. And I would like to ask you, and you can speak to that a little bit if you'd like, but I'd like to ask you if you are going through anything in life, um, if you're a person of trans experience, if you're transitioning, if you're just facing battles with your mental health and you don't feel like you have a support system, you know, where can you find a support system? What idols can you look up to? Like, what would be your advice for someone who feels like they don't have someone to be their champion right now? Yeah, and I am lucky and blessed and privileged um, for sure. Um, and she definitely is my biggest support system along with like my friends and the rest of my family. Um, and um, I more and more am humbled and am more grateful for them every day, especially because of Clubhouse and, and opening up uh, a space for, for people of trans experience to come and share their stories. And um, I think when I offer advice to them, this, the same exact advice, I always say that there's the digital world, there are social media, I mean, there is social media, there are, are digital communities for us to go to, as well as centers like the LGBT center, which hosts host events, which now of course isn't happening, but um, places where there, we can gather, going out in the neighborhood where it's safe for us to be in bars. I don't necessarily, I'm like one of the few people 
I know who's in the LGBTQI community who doesn't like going to those places just because like straight guys aren't there and I'm trying to fuck. Um, but um, but that's where they can feel safe. And so there are there are places, but those are on the coast. And I often have to think about people who may not have that support by their family, by their friends, by their place of worship. Um, and to them, I always suggest finding those online communities on Reddit, on all these places where you can interact in a, almost a chat room sense with people who, um, and now on Clubhouse, who can help you feel that you're not alone and that there's other people out there who are like you. And I think that's the good part about social media. The bad part is the comparison of others and all of that stuff and every other thing that's bad about social media. But the good part is you can find people like me who will respond to you in the comments section and help you out and make you feel okay and post about my story and things like that, where you can feel that sense of community until you do have, a, until you are at a point where you can go off to college in a, in a better location and find people who are like you and college or after college when you're in the workforce um but some people are in high school right now and they can't escape their parents and they can't escape their town and it's just about holding on and finding those digital communities um in the interim and unfortunately that's as good as it gets you know yeah so you brought up clubhouse and i want to talk about it for a moment so to our audience, for anybody who doesn't know what Clubhouse is, Clubhouse is a social media platform. It's in its beta testing mode right now. So unfortunately, it is only available to iPhone users, but that will expand very shortly. And Clubhouse is a platform that's an all audio-based community. You can set up your profile. You can go into different various rooms. Some of those rooms talk about business. Some talk about health and wellness and others serve as support spaces, right? So Corey hosts a club called Trans Talk, a safe space, and I would love for you to speak a little bit about that. Yeah, um, ooh, sorry. It's not a club yet, unfortunately. Um, I don't know when that will happen. I submitted some stuff for it, but it's a room right now called, yeah, Trans Talk, a safe space, and it's exactly that. It's a safe space for people of trans experience to share their stories, to feel a sense of support and community, but it's also for our cisgender allies to show their support and ask the questions that they may have been too afraid or embarrassed or uncomfortable to ask a trans person before. And I often say that it is not every trans person's responsibility to answer those questions. I've made it mine. I've made a career out of it. I've made a career out of bridging that gap and getting cis and trans people in the same room because I lived cis for so long. Right. Um, that I can see where the gaps need to be filled. I think it's 79% of the U.S. population has never knowingly interacted with a trans person. And I know. And I think that was done in like 2018. I don't have any updated info on that. But yeah, it's a big number. And I realized on Clubhouse there wasn't a place for us to be together. There was like trans maybe it would, there weren't any actually even trans groups. There was just like LGBT groups, but I wanted a place for everyone to come together and to be in the same room. And for the people who wanted to be on stage, 
um, to answer those questions or to share their stories with cis people in the room and understand that there are good cis people out there. Because a lot of pe people of trans experience have a fear of that every cis person isn't going to accept them, which is totally understandable. Yeah. And I want to let them know that there are good cis people out there because I have them in my life. Most of my friends are cis and hetero. You know, I don't have a lot of trans friends. I don't have a lot of, well, I have a lot of gay friends, but I don't have a lot of trans friends. And so I wanted them to know that there's a place for them, that they can be heard and that their stories were valid and their experiences were real. And as well as making cis people feel comfortable asking those questions and, and feeling comfortable not knowing terminology, feeling comfortable fucking up. And I feel like that cis people are too afraid to offend or don't know how to go about any type of situation under this trans umbrella with friends, family, person they're interested in, general questions. I mean, I wanted to create that space for everyone to come together and be involved. And it's on its sixth week and it is so rewarding and humbling and grounding and all things mixed up in one. I am hit with like the humble stick every single time just because of my support system and because of my what I call passability which is now I think turning into cis-assumedness where people okay. would assume that I'm cis or I say passing privilege which is when you have the socioeconomic um, background to transition and the genetic makeup to be cis-assumed which I had both. I look exactly like my mom and my parents gave up everything so that I could transition and have surgery and all that stuff. So I felt my version of complete was there. Um, but I'm learning so much about other trans people and that's really rewarding for me um, to connect with them and to learn from them and as well as have cis people who are in my DMs being like, thank you just for, for, for creating a space where I can learn finally. So it's um, really fulfilling and I, I'm really thankful that I have a place like Clubhouse that's reignited my passion because um, like I said earlier, being trans um, isn't everything about me. And I felt that Instagram, it needed to be or else it wouldn't perform well. And so I've kind of given up on things performing well because I don't feel like talking about it on an Instagram post every single day, but I can talk about it really, really quickly, you know, in, in a group on Clubhouse and, and know exactly who I'm making an impact on. So yeah, it's been nice. And how can, yeah, that's amazing. And I've enjoyed being in the room and, and listening to you speak mm -hmm. and just being able to learn so much. And even just in, in this conversation today and you know, shamefully, I, I didn't think about using the term of trans experience opposed to just saying transgender, right? Like it wasn't really in my vocabulary and I just, it proved to me how much I need to educate myself and how much other people need to educate themselves because it's just part of who we are as a culture, right? We have people who are non-binary, we have people who are cisgender, we have people who are trans, we have people who are trans experienced. And it was so interesting earlier when you were talking about how way back this wasn't such an issue, right? Like people, there were different ways that people could identify their gender. Being gay was way more normal, right? Like back then, being bisexual was way more It wasn't normal. even like gay. It was just like, well, I, I don't know if right, it was like there, for the Incas and the Mayans, but some of them even have like, and I mean, this is a lot, but like on their pottery, like images of people having sex with animals. I mean, that's a lot. 
Like, yeah. but there, it was just sex. It was like, all right, I'm attracted to this person. I'm going to put my dick in that, or I'm going to put my dick in that. Um, <laughs> or rather, let's change the narrative. I'm going to slide my pussy on this. I'm going to slide my pussy on that. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think that it is now seen as inhuman, but, um, and that's my biggest mission. It's like, I want people to see us as human first and humanize the community um, because it used to be that way. I mean, and when we say used to, I mean, I want people to know this was like thousands of years ago, not just like yeah. <laughs> or hundreds of that or hundreds of years ago. I don't even know, but. Who knows at this point? <laughs> but at some point it was normal and normalized and it is still normal and we just need to act like it is and learn about it so that we can prevent that stigma, I think stigma as it exists in every community is a result of lack of education and that lack of education leads to fear fear of the unknown the unassuming um i also think religion has a big part to play in you know just gender roles and man and woman and how they're supposed to exist um and coexist absolutely so, yeah so it's very interesting and it's an, an important point that you bring up and how can people find your room they can follow you right on clubhouse they download the app follow you Corey ray and at what time at what place um so it's every tuesday trans talk tuesdays um tuesdays 11 30 a.m pacific time okay and uh yeah i'm hoping i can do it more like maybe tuesdays and thursdays but for now it's every tuesday 11 30 a.m pacific time on clubhouse and you can find me on clubhouse at corey ray okay awesome so i've taken up a ton of your time i want to ask you one more question just because okay. i think that it's it's important to talk about so i want to ask you what was it like to live as a person of trans experience or a person who had transitioned in Donald Trump's America, um, and what did Kamala Harris and Joe Biden winning the election mean to you? And what do you think it's going to mean to the transgender LGBTQI uh, community? So Trump's America was a never-ending nightmare. Um, not necessarily because I felt personally unsafe, but because I knew so many of my brothers and sisters of trans experience were unsafe. And that he was so unpredictable that I didn't know what was going to happen. The first day he took office, he deleted the LGBTQIA plus or it was called probably just LGBT part of the website um, from the White House website, like deleted the section for LGBT people on the website of the White House. The very first day he took office in January. Um, that was scary. And I was writing more back then. So I wrote a lot about how that made me feel. And I was scared, especially because I don't think I had had my gender marker changed on like on my birth certificate at that point or my, um, I mean, yeah, my license and all that, but like, legally, 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 like into yeah. my birth certificate, I hadn't. Stuff like that scared me. Um, the bathroom laws, of course, I mean, again, not necessarily for me because I'm cis-assumed or passable, but because there are so many that I know are in different stages of whatever their version of complete is right. or haven't yet started their transition. 
Um, so it was scary. Um, I had a feeling he wouldn't win again. Um, and since he's been silenced, uh, I have felt a weight of the world lifted off of my shoulders and of the community's shoulders because it just seems so much peaceful without him tweeting all the time and being an idiot. Um, the win of Joe Biden, um, I think he's probably a really great guy. I am a massive Bernie Sanders person. I believe in what Bernie stands for because I believe at the root of Bernie Sanders, it is about just good for like goodness. Yeah, I think Joe Biden, he wants goodness, but also um, to stay a lot of the same, pre-Trump the same, right. whereas Bernie's so radical and I love that. But Kamala, of course, um, is a force to be reckoned with, will maybe probably be the first president of the United States, woman president of the United States. Um, but also it meant that like the reign of terror was over and that there was going to be the person in the highest possible office in our land protecting trans people. I didn't, you know, Joe Biden is amazing, but I knew for a fact he would protect us. And I knew that Kamala would protect us, regardless yeah. of things that she's done in the past were a little bit mm, with the trans community, but um, she's owned up to that and whatever. But I knew that we would be protected and that we were gonna start progressing again. And so that was very exciting. And it meant for the most targeted group in our nation, which is women of color who are of transgender experience, it means they were gonna to start to get more protected. And that meant a lot to me. And, um, and I am now way more hopeful for where this is going. We have so much work to do, but we're getting there. We're, we're starting. Um, to get to a place where we are educating people about what it means to be of trans experience. And we are opening up those conversations and we are putting it in our school systems and we're gonna get there. And so I feel very hopeful now. Um, and then I think that there was another part to that question, but I don't remember, but. Yeah, so it was, yeah, what was it like to live in, in his, ex under Trump's rule and, and then, and or leadership and then, you know, what does it mean for them to have won the election? So you answered it perfectly. Right. And uh, it has just been so wonderful talking to you today. And you have taught me so much. You've taught our listeners so much. You've been so vulnerable in sharing your experience and your story. And you're just such a force to be reckoned with. So I really appreciate you being here today and taking the time to do this podcast with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course. So Thank you to our Brains Out Loud listeners. This was Corey Ray. You can find her at, where's the best way to contact you? Where's the best way to find your platform? Uh, yes. Um, all things Corey Ray, I suppose. Instagram at I'm Corey Ray. Twitter at I'm Corey Ray. Facebook at I'm Corey Ray. And then TikTok and Clubhouse at Corey Ray. Um, and you can find me on CoreyRay.com, which is... Um, about to relaunch for its five-year anniversary, which will become a more of a safe space, a place for resources for people to learn about the trans experience, as well as get resources of people who are of the trans experience. Um, yeah, so all things Corey Ray, and yeah, thank you for having me. This was this is great. I could have taken up way more of your time, so good that you cut me off here. <laughs>
Awesome. Oh, we wish we could have you on forever. Seriously, I, I could talk to you for hours. So thank yeah. you so much. And this is Brains Out Loud. And thanks for listening, guys. Thank you.